Please remain standing in honor of God's word. We're continuing on through 2 Peter. And this morning we'll look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. 2 Peter 2, 18 through 22. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. Speaking of the false prophets, Peter says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, I want to ask that this congregation will be of more noble character like the Breans in the book of Acts who were a discerning people who eagerly examined the scriptures to see if what the speaker said was true. Father, I pray that even this morning this congregation will eagerly examine what I have to say and weigh everything against your word. If it is true, I pray that they will embrace it and live according to it. If it is not true, I pray that they will reject it, and I pray that they will not do this on their own, but I pray that they will do this by the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus sent to guide us into all truth. And we pray that even now you will send him to guide us into all truth so that we can embrace it and live according to it. And we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. The first theological argument that I ever had in ministry was with a pastor who was part of the school of thought that after you share the gospel with someone and lead them in prayer to receive Christ and find forgiveness in him, then immediately you would say, now you need to know that in the years to come, Satan is going to fill your heart with doubts about your salvation. And I want you to know that you should never, ever doubt your salvation. You are a Christian. You are eternally secure, once saved, always saved. I told him that I thought he was engaged in a dangerous practice since only God knows whether or not that person received Christ as their Savior as a result of genuine regeneration or not. Now, don't misunderstand. I think assurance of salvation is very important. 1 John was written so that we would have assurance of salvation. In 1 John 5, 13, John says, These things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you would know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know that we are Christians, that we have eternal life, that heaven is waiting for us. And even in 2 Peter that we've been looking at, This is what Peter said in chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. 
He says, be sure that you've been called by God and that you are one of the elect. Not because you can peek into God's secret decrees, but because you're living as God is calling you to live. So you are confident that God has chosen me. But that said, it is possible to make a profession of faith and even be excited about Christianity only to later turn away. Uh, Jesus' parable of the soils is very helpful here. He tells the parable about a farmer who took seed out of his bag, and he would just cast the seed everywhere. He would cast it on the the rocks and among the bushes and the thorns and and the hard ground, and, and there would be different responses from the word going forth. And this is what he said in Luke 8, 13. And the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy. What a great message. This is wonderful. This indeed is good news. They receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Practically, this joy can include saying the sinner's prayer, uh, giving a testimony of faith in Christ, being baptized, even joining the church and being a part of the ministry, only to later turn away from the faith. So we have to be very careful when it comes to hearing someone be excited about the faith and wonder whether or not it will last. Now, if you were here last week, I had mentioned that we have 22 verses in this chapter talking about false teachers. And I said, relatively speaking, that's a lot of verses. For example, in Colossians 3, wives are only given one verse on how to be a good wife. Uh, Husbands are only given one verse on how to be a good husband. Children are only given one verse on obeying their parents and being good kids and Fathers are only given a single verse on child-rearing. Now, there are other verses in the Bible. Of course, the whole book of Proverbs helps us raise children. But Paul in Colossians only has one, one verse. So my point was that when we see 22 verses related to false teachers, Peter has a lot to say about this issue, which for me raised the obvious question, why does Peter have so much to say about false teachers? Why all this attention? And I said, for at least this reason, because false teachers can entice the vulnerable and people can be led astray. And this morning is really part two of that message. False teachers can entice and false teachers can lead people astray. And in order not to be enticed and led astray, we need to recognize at least four things if you're taking notes. And Three of these are a reiteration from last week, and one is an addition. But these are the four points. I'll give them to you up front. We need to recognize the imminent danger. Number two, the false teacher's tactics. Number three, the need to persevere. And then number four, where our souls can be fed. So let's begin with the first point, the imminent danger. Verse 14, again, speaking of the false prophets, They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. 
And then verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Now, this phrase, sensual pleasures, is literally lust of the flesh. Now, when we hear about sensual passions or lust of the flesh, uh, we primarily think in sexual terms, and that is included, but the meaning is far broader than that. Sensual passions can include uh, the desire for health or money or business success or popularity or a marital partner, etc., Now, in and of themselves, many of these desires are not wrong or sinful, uh, but they can cross the line and become sinful. And one way to recognize when your desire crosses the line is when you start to have a demanding spirit before God or others. When you start to have a demanding spirit. Spirit. One example is found in Genesis 30, verses 1 and 2. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. There's a problem right there. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Rachel envied her sister. She wanted a child, and she had this demanding spirit. She says to her husband, give me a child. And he's like, I'm doing the best I can do. It's ultimately not up to me. Ultimately, it's it's up to God. By the way, I do see the mercy and grace of God in this episode, because if you know the story, Rachel eventually did have children. So even in spite of that, God was merciful and gracious Towards her, but we have to be careful when we have a demanding spirit. Now, in verse 14, we pointed out unsteady souls, and in verse 18, we pointed out those who are enticed by sensual passions. We talked about it last week, and I'm talking about it again uh, this week. And I have a question for you. When I talked about it last week, and I talked about it this week, how many of you thought? Yeah, I could be among those who are enticed, and I, I need to be very careful. Or, if you're honest, how many of you thought, yeah, those people who attend the Prosperity Gospel Church, they need to be careful because obviously they're not very discerning, or they wouldn't be going to that church. They would be going to a good Bible-believing church like I am. Thank God that I am not like one of those poor, unsteady souls. Well, can I be honest with you? Every single one of you, including your pastor, can be among those unsteady souls. It's very easy to think that we stand upon a rock and nothing will move me. I might teeter, I might totter a little bit from time to time, but nothing can knock me down. Just this last week, I received a phone call from a man who said his pastor fell, he had a mental breakdown, now they're looking for a pastor, someone to help with worship, and he said it's even in the paper because he was arrested, and I said, he was arrested? I said, a mental breakdown is not a 
not against the law. Why would you be arrested for that? And he told me about some behavior that he was engaged in. And I thought, okay, I don't really want to know what led to that. But he fell. And I've said this before, and I, I came across it again in my reading, and I guess it came from one of the Puritans. But the advice was given, whenever you hear about a pastor who fell, say to yourself, he fell yesterday, I could fall today. He fell. He had a mental breakdown or whatever. It's in the paper. His whole congregation knows about it. It's embarrassing. I don't know how his family's involved. Could that be you? Could that be me? It could be. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, Therefore, let anyone that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's all of us. Don't we say as believers, but for the grace of God go I? So here's the question. Do we believe it? Is, is that just something we say because we know it's true? Or do we really believe it? It is only by the grace of God that I haven't done something really stupid like that guy down the road has. And it really is because given the right situation, the right environment, I could do something just as stupid or not worse. And I think we all need to recognize that it is only God's sovereign grace that upholds us moment from moment. And every day we should recognize that we stand by his grace alone. So in order not to be led astray, we need to recognize the imminent danger of being enticed by sensual passions. And number two, we need to recognize the false teacher's tactics. Verse 18, again, they speak loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. If I can just paraphrase this simply, they tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you want to hear. Uh, this last week, I listened to another message by a false teacher. And you say, why did you do that? Because I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> In all seriousness, this, I did it intentionally, and this, this is why I did it. I wanted to know what the attraction was. I wanted to know, and I was asking this question honestly, why are so many people attracted to this man's sermon and to his books? What is it that enthralls them? And it wasn't hard to figure out. He tells them what they want to hear. He told them that if they're sick, they're going to get well. Oh, you're in the hospital right now? You will get well. Who doesn't want to hear that when they're in the hospital? Car Carol Kinnicky would love to hear that, right? Yes, you're going to get well. You're going to be stronger than you ever were before. He tells them, I know you're struggling financially, but a day is coming when the finances are going to be overflowing and, and you'll be loaning out to others. Great, that's wonderful. I can't, I can't wait for that to happen. Or he says, I, I know your business isn't doing well, and maybe you're laying off in employees and you're talking about closing the doors, but you need to know your business is going to thrive once again. And on and on the promises go, and you can hear the applause because he's telling them what they want to hear. 
In a word, he is appealing to their sensual passions. He's just telling them what they want to hear. Look at verse 19. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. I, I love Peter's irony here. Slaves are promising freedom. They promise them freedom. You can live how, however you want. This is the abuse of, of God's grace. Reminding me of Psalm 2, where we read, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. These people are rebelling against God, his anointed son, Jesus Christ. His, his laws are, are like chains, and, and we just want to live however we want. And that's the promise that Satan has made from the beginning. It goes all the way back to the garden. You can decide for yourself how you want to live. And these false teachers are promising freedom to live however they want, but it's actually enslaving. Now, here's the thing with false teachers. I've noticed this as well. There's always a kernel of truth in what they say. There's like a kernel of truth, and it's surrounded by a lie or deception. Because, of course, in Christ, we are free. We are free. Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We are free in Christ. But in context, we are free from needing to obey the law for our justification, free from being circumcised for our justification because it's through faith. So we are, we are set free in Christ, and we should enjoy that freedom. But what should we do with our freedom? This is what we read in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Isn't that a great verse? That would be a great school verse for the year. That's, that's Trinity Oaks Christian Academy school verse for the year. You have been set free. Don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. And that's not why you were set free. Why were you set free? So you could serve one another in love. So when you're set free, that freedom should manifest itself in service to others. And I want to say that I am so thankful for this congregation that loves to serve. And it was a week or so ago, I was thinking about everybody who serves, who, who served when I was gone and who continues to serve. And I don't remember where I was or why this was going through my mind, but I was, I was just going through the list of all the people in this church who serve and this guy who does this and this girl who does this and just going right down the list and, and this person and this person and this person. And even this, this morning before the service, we were, we were praying in my office, and I said, how many of you here are new? And by new, we meant serving in a new position for the first time, and three hands went up. And I, and I was like, this, this, is, this is great. God is adding more servants, and that's what it means to be set free. I'm set free, so now I get to serve others. Who, who is in need in this congregation? How can I serve them? What can I do for them? What can I give them? How can I build them up? That's why we've been 
set free. And I love that mindset. That's a great mindset to have on a Sunday morning when you, when you come to church. Who can I minister to this morning? Even it's, if it's shaking their hand and saying, it's so good to see you this morning. It's good to see you, Chuck. Please don't break my hand as you squeeze my hand. <laughs> it's got the strongest grip in the church. It's got, got. But what a, what a great mind. That's why we were set free, so we could encourage each other and, and serve in the body of Christ. And I just wanted to take another opportunity to just say I'm so thankful for how you, you serve and how you properly use your freedom. But that's, that's why we were, we were set free. So in order not to be led astray, we need to recognize the imminent danger, being enticed by sensual passions. We need to recognize the false teachers' tactics. They tell you what you want to hear. And number three, we need to recognize the need to persevere. We need to persevere. Verse 20, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Peter is drawing that directly from Jesus. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 43 and following. And, and Jesus is even more graphic. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first so also will it be with this generation. The picture is of people who have maybe cleaned up their life on the outside. They're trying to turn over a new leaf and live as they should, but, but Christ doesn't dwell in them through the person of the Holy Spirit. And if Christ doesn't come into their hearts, then after a while they will turn away, and Jesus said, and now Peter is saying, the last day of that person is actually worse than the first state. And no wonder Peter goes on to say in verse 21, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. And then Peter adds a crude proverb or two in verse 21. What the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its vomit. And when I was saying that, I saw some of you kind of kind of cringing. The dog returns to its vomit. That's pretty graphic. A dog eats something, doesn't settle well with its stomach, and he vomits it out, and he feels better, and he's like, oh, I'm glad I got that out of my system, and he goes away. And then he comes back to the vomit. And then he uses the illustration of, of a sow after washing itself. And you can picture this, you know, some kind of pig. You get out the hose, you clean it up, and oh, it's, it's actually pink. And you get it all cleaned up. No sooner do you get it cleaned up, and it goes right back to the mud because it feels 
right at home. And he's saying, that's what people who are unconverted are like. Maybe for a while they clean up themselves on the outside, but they just go right back to living how they were, and they live even worse. It's a pretty graphic picture. Now, at this point, many of the commentators debate whether or not you can lose your salvation. So the question arises, and maybe some of you have the question, were these people actually converted or not? Are we talking about people who were who were Christians and then lost their salvation? Because notice they escaped through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or were they never converted in the first place? Now, just for the record, let me say that I believe you cannot lose your salvation. There are so many passages. I'll just, I'll just give you one. Romans eight thirty. And those whom he, God, predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. If God calls you, or excuse me, if God predestines you, he will call you. If he calls you, he will justify you. If he justifies you, he will glorify you. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will complete what he started. You will not lose your salvation. Okay, I believe that. However, if I can be honest, I think that debate totally misses Peter's point. Because what's Peter's point? His point is that you can have people who can somehow escape the defilement of the world And it comes through knowledge about Jesus Christ only to return to it. So here's his point that we shouldn't miss. People can know the truth and reject it. These teachers knew the truth and they rejected it. Last week after the service, I asked a couple of guys this provocative question. I said, are many of these prosperity gospel preachers being deliberate in what they're doing, making these promises to people? Are they deliberately, are they intentionally telling the sick they're going to get well? Are they deliberately telling those who are poor, struggling financially, that they will be rich? Are they being deliberate and intentional in deceiving people and what they are preaching? And many of them are. They are deliberately twisting the scriptures. Look at verse 15 if you'll back up. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They knew the right way. They had knowledge. They forsook it. It was intentional. Then Peter says, They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Balaam turned away from the truth, and he did it for money. And if you read through the Old Testament, you will see many false prophets, many who would tell the people, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. What was God saying? God's saying they're liars. They're absolute liars. Again, they're telling the people what they want to hear. They're one saying, oh, don't worry about the Assyrians. Don't worry about the Babylonians. Peace, peace, when actually judgment 
is coming and they can do this intentionally. They can turn away from the truth. Isn't that a frightening thought to think that people can do that? But here's the thing. Average people who turn to Christ maybe for a while can turn away from the truth. And if I can just speak pastorally, that scares me. When I first started here as your pastor, people would tend for a while, they'd come and I would see joy, and then I wouldn't see them. And, and, and Michelle and I used to assume that they must be going to another, another church. And then over time, I, I would find out they're, they're not going to another church or they're not going anywhere. And now often, I, if I see people who are here coming for a time and, and, and they're enjoying the service and the messages and, and then they stop coming, often I think, I bet they're not going anywhere. And one of the things that really scared me with, with COVID when churches shut down is, is how quickly people were content with, with not going to church. And again, I, we need to be very careful because we, we can turn away from the truth. And, and sometimes it's, it's not always just, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I, th- I think it's just, it's just a slow, steady drifting away. I don't know if any of you have been swimming in the ocean. One time I was visiting a friend of mine in Texas, and we went to the ocean, and, and I didn't realize it, but I was just slowly just drifting further and, and further out, and I'm, I'm not the greatest swimmer, and all of a sudden I was like, ooh, I need to get back, and I, I was struggling a little bit. I think often that's what happens. It's not like they say, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. I think it's just, they stop coming to church. It's easy, and they just, they slowly drift. And it happens a lot. And it happens a lot. So God has given us a whole book of the Bible to help these people. It's the book of Hebrews, which is given to us so that we would persevere. And this is what the author says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. He's saying, don't, don't drift away. Don't be like a bobber in the water that's just going to drift away from the truth. And then verse 3, he says, for how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And, and people drift away because they just neglect this great salvation that we have. And you might say, well, what do they neglect? They neglect praising God with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs for this great salvation. They neglect singing amazing grace that saved the wretch like me. They, they neglect hearing the preaching of, of God's word on a regular basis so that they can re, be reminded of these great truths. They neglect confessing their sins, asking God to forgive them for their sins, and then thanking God for the forgiveness that he offers them week after week after week. They neglect to avail themselves to the means of grace and come to the Lord's table and partake of the bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Christ and reminding themselves, I am what I am by the grace of God, because of God's love for me that is seen so clearly in his son. They just, they neglect this great salvation and they just drift away. And I see it, and it scares me, 
And I don't want any of you, and I don't, I don't mean to point fingers. This, this is not a finger of accusation. This is a finger of love. I would point to each one of you, and I would say, please, don't neglect your great salvation. Please, don't drift away. Persevere. Do what you have to do so that you will continue on. Any of us can drift away. And I'm pointing at myself as well. We need to persevere, and that's Peter's concern here. You can, you can drift away. Don't, don't drift away. So in order not to be led astray, you need to recognize the imminent danger. We can all be enticed. Recognize the false teacher's tactics. They tell you what you want to hear. Recognize the need to persevere which we do by availing ourselves to the means of grace. And then number four, recognize where our souls can be fed. Where our souls can be fed. Last week we looked at verse 17. These are waterless springs. And we talked about a a man in, in the desert. It's hot, it's dry, he's traveling for miles. And he thinks he sees water up ahead and it turns out to be a a mirage, and he's disappointed instead of finding refreshing water, just dry sand and doesn't have anything to offer. And Peter's saying that's what these false teachers are like. You're looking for life-giving water to sustain you, and they're not leading you to the fountain of living water. And God has given us his, his word to sustain us. Right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and here's what I would say of, of any pastor, any preacher who stands up. Do they expound God's word? Do they, do they lead you to, to the scriptures? I, I didn't ask. Do they just wave their Bible in the air? This is my Bible. Yes, that's your Bible. Are you now going to open your Bible and point to verse 2, 3, 4, and say, look at this verse. Look at this verse. Turn back to this passage. Oh, look at this passage. Are you now going to expound the scriptures, that Bible that you just waved in the air, or are you going to depart from it? It's God's word that sustains us. But if I can put a finer point on it, it's God's word that sustains us because it points us specifically to his son, Jesus Christ. This is what we read in John 5, 39 and 40. Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So yes, you turn to the scriptures thinking that you will have eternal life. It is they that point to me. And many of the Jews would not come to Christ. Have you come to Christ for life? There's no one else who can provide forgiveness of your sins by taking upon himself your punishment. Have you come to Christ? Why would anyone not come to Christ for life? There is an answer to that question, actually. People don't come to Christ for life because they have to come on his terms. If you come to Christ, then he's not only Savior, he's, he's also your Lord. And, and he might say, you have to live a little differently. 
You can't continue to engage in this kind of sexual practice. You can't, kind of, you can't continue to live in this, quote-unquote, alternative lifestyle. You need to live according to God's word. That's why people wouldn't come. But where else are you going to go to have your, your thirst taken care of, your, your eternal thirst, your spiritual thirst? Where, where else are you going to go? There's no else to go. So sometimes there's this inner conflict. Christ is the only one who can take care of my thirst and give me life, but I don't, I don't know if I want to go. C.S. Lewis did a great job of capturing this, this inner conflict in his book, The Silver Chair, and this is found in his children's series on the Chronicles of Narnia. And this is what we read. Jill, seeing a lion, that's Aslan who represents Christ, seeing a lion... It scared the wits out of her, and she ran into the forest. She runs so hard that she wears herself out and is just about to die of thirst, or so she thinks, when she hears the gurgling of a brook in the distance. She approaches it and is almost ready to go to the brook when on the grass before her is the same lion. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind? Going away while I do, said Chill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might have as well just have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious, rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys Women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that. And her mind was suddenly made up. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest the most refreshing water she ever tasted. There is no other stream that we can go to to have our spiritual thirst assuaged. I think of John 6, when Jesus was giving his disciples some, some hard teaching, and if you pay careful attention to the teaching of Jesus, you'll notice that many crowds came because they were attracted but then he would give them hard teaching, and as they came in droves, they also left in droves. And, 
And as they were leaving in droves, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you want to leave also? And then this is what Peter said in John 6, 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. There's no other place to go than to Christ to find eternal life and to have our our souls fed. So if you don't want to be led astray, recognize the, the imminent danger. Your soul, my soul, can be enticed. Recognize these false teachers tell you what you want to hear. Recognize your need for perseverance, which takes place through the means of grace that God's wonderfully provided through church, fellowship, prayer, his word, the sacraments that we're about to enjoy, and and understand where your souls can be fed in the scriptures that lead us ultimately to his son. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, how lost we would be without it. We would be like blind men and women groping in the dark. But you have provided light for us. And I pray that all of us will come into the light, embrace it, and live according to it. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.